Oh, good morning again. Uh, appreciate the team doing that song. Obviously, we continue to pray for those who were impacted by the, the tragedy up at Michigan State this past week. It's just hard to comprehend some of those things, especially when it hits that close to home. I know many of you have attended Michigan State, maybe have family uh, uh, on campus even now. Um, and it's interesting to even contrast uh, those events with some of the things, I don't know if you've seen on social media, some of the things happening at different Christian colleges around the country. Just an amazing outpouring of worship and, and uh, God showing up in big ways in some of these places. Uh, chapel sessions turning into week-long, you know, 24-7 prayer and praise moments. And so um, it's just a crazy contrast, almost like uh, there's some spiritual warfare going on in the country that, and we're just getting little glimpses of both sides. And uh, but obviously, uh, big deal. And, and the reality is, uh, there is no hope. There is no solution without Jesus. And so um, that's that's where the conversation has to has to begin and end. And there's a lot in between, obviously. But um, anyway, so we're we're uh, jumping back into Peter today. I remember uh, late in my fifth grade year, um, and it happened, I think, in eighth grade as well. But you you get to that point, you, you're at the top of the food chain, right? You're the oldest kid in the in the school. You and your friends. And now you're heading into middle school the next year. We're in sixth grade, and I know it's the case for most of the districts around us. Sixth grade's middle school, right? And so now you're at the bottom of the totem pole, and kids get, I don't know if you've seen seventh and eighth graders lately, they're awfully big. And so when you're coming in as a new sixth grader, it can be pretty intimidating. And so even though there was some excitement about summer vacation coming, there was a little bit of that trepidation of like, oh man, next year's going to be a little bit different. So I remember uh, they sent down three sixth grade students... And they did a little assembly with our, our three fifth grade classes from our elementary school. And those sixth graders just kind of sat there and shared a little bit of what their year was like, uh, did some Q&A, and just kind of gave some tips, right? Like, hey, it, it can be hard. It can be confusing. It's tough to get used to. But hey, here's what it looks like. Here's what you can expect. Here's some ideas of how to navigate next year. Uh, basically saying, hey, my teachers feel like I'm doing okay at this. That's why they sent me down. And so if nothing else... Just kind of do what I've been doing, and then you'll figure it out as you go, and you'll be all right. And there's something incredibly important, there's something incredibly stabilizing that comes with good guidance, that comes with good examples. And sometimes it, it comes in the form of a person with a specific title, right? You, you, you go to college, you have an academic advisor, someone who can see the big picture, someone who's been there and done that with students before, and can say, here's the path that you should take, here's where you start, this is what you do next semester, right? Or sometimes it's just a proven example of what to do what to expect, what to shoot for. And, and as Peter wraps up his first letter today, he turns to uh, one more practical challenge, a little bit different than what we've been talking about, where he's been addressing how to live as a believer in the midst of a world that doesn't believe, in the midst of a fallen culture. Uh, today is practical, but in a little bit of a different way. And, and it has to do with this idea of guidance and examples and leadership within the church um, and so today, I just want to warn you, I don't know if maybe you're visiting our church or maybe church is a newer thing to you. Today's a little bit more on the educational side, a little bit more on the informational side. Uh, Going to nerd out on some church stuff a little bit from Peter. Um, so just bear with us. Uh, I'll try to give you some goosebumps next week, maybe. We'll have some, some silly stories. I don't know. Um, actually, next week is on election and predestination. So... Uh, <laughs> It'll be fun for me. I don't know if it'll be fun for you guys. Uh, so we'll jump in, and you'll, you'll kind of get where I'm going as we talk a little bit of, uh, little bit of church uh, leadership and organization here. So 1 Peter 5, uh, we'll read our nine verses, and then we'll kind of come back through uh, piece by piece. He says, To the elders among you, 
I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Third time in this letter he says that. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So he's talking about leadership within the body of Christ. And, and his, the, those last couple of verses, verses 8 and 9, he kind of reveals the why of what he's talking about. He says again, be alert, be of sober mind, get serious. Why? Because Satan knows that if you take down the leaders, you can take down a church. And if you take down a church, you can take down a generation. There's so much at stake when it comes to the church. And so Peter says, there's some urgency here, right? This, this is, there's urgency about where we are. There should be urgency about where we're going. And what is it that Peter brings up in light of this urgency? He brings up leadership. So in verse 1 there, the first part, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. So what's an elder, right? Let, let's get into that a little bit. So that word used there is fairly diverse in what you can use it for. It can refer to a position of influence or leadership, it can refer to an older man, an older woman. It can also refer to simply the oldest person amongst a group. So uh, if you have a group of 13-year-olds and a 20-year-old walks in, that 20-year-old would be an elder, based, and, and they could use this word to refer to that. So all of those different uses uh, are applicable to what we're talking about today, but this passage specifically is referring to a position, an official level of influence within the church. Typically, typically would be someone older, and yet age doesn't guarantee that you would uh, uh, ascribe to this level of leadership and influence just because you're older. So what's happening is that it's, you're kind of progressing through the first century, um, and Peter, as we'll see early on in 2 Peter in the next couple weeks, knows that his end is coming. And as he reflects on that, guys like Peter, guys like Paul, others, they're, they're starting to wonder, okay, is the body going to be led well? Is it going to be taught well? Is it going to be protected? Is it going to be cared for? Is, is the, are things going to be kept in good order while we are all gone? And so the question becomes, who is going to be responsible for such a big opportunity, for such a big responsibility? Now, the obvious one is Jesus, right? J Jesus should be responsible. And you say, yes, absolutely. He started the whole thing. He is the head of the church. And yet, in bodily form, he's gone. And he's left his Holy Spirit behind to guide human beings in the leadership of this thing that he created called the church. Beyond him, the, no, the next obvious option becomes the 11 disciples, those and, and a handful of others who walked side by side with Jesus as he taught, as he, as he ministered with people, as he showed them what this thing was supposed to be. And, and a lot of weight was put on that characteristic. They were with Jesus. And those individuals took pivotal roles in that first century, Peter and James and John, the other James, Jesus' brother, those who were there when it was all happening. But the problem is, all of these individuals at some point are going to die. 
Some of them have already been martyred, right? And so the, the number of those individuals who walked side by side with Jesus is dwindling very quickly at this point. And so who leads? Who teaches? Who guides? Who protects when all of these individuals are gone? You cannot replace personally walked with Jesus very easily. And so what they ended up doing is over time, they began to establish leadership roles within the church that would help supplement what the apostles were doing and ultimately take over for what the apostles were doing. And the first one they created was this position called deacon. Those of you guys, some of you guys grew up in church, you know exactly what I'm talking about, deacons. Um, basically, they were those who were gifted and called to lead and serve and organize. These individuals owned practical leadership and practical duties within the body of Christ. Started out just making sure that the local community widows were being taken care of in an organized way, but then it evolved from there. It expanded from there because the church existed in different towns, different regions, different cultures, and so the needs were different. Uh, you, you look at today. We don't, we don't uh, have as much concern for widows in the 21st century because there are programs in place to help take care of people, right? Back in the first century, you're in trouble. So the church stepped in and said, hey, we need, we need some, some people to take over some organizational leadership of this project to make sure it's operating smoothly. And that was the deacons. And so very practical in nature and yet still a very high calling. Uh, where they established this in Acts 6, it says that these individuals were full of the spirit and full of wisdom. In 1 Timothy 3 that we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later, along with elders... It's given a pretty high standard for those who would be deacons. And so even though the word deacon simply translates as servant, this is clearly not a role for baby Christians of any age. And so deacon was that first leadership role that was established within the local church to help with what the apostles were doing. The next role is the role of elder, also called overseer, uh, modern-day pastor, elder, uh, depending on the, the translation of the Bible you're using. It might say bishop in certain spots. These were the leaders who were to step in as the original 11 were leaving the scene, whether it was by aging and dying or simply planting a church, raising up elders, and then moving on to the next city and leaving those elders behind to lead and guide the church. But that's a huge gap to fill as these original apostles were moving on because the disciples were those who would say, hey, we were with Jesus, and this is what he said. We were with Jesus, and this is what he did. We were with Jesus, and this is what he commanded us and what he commanded you. We were with Jesus, and this is what he said the church is supposed to be and do and look like and prioritize and teach. And so that is the role that these elders were being asked to step into. And if that's the role, then the calling is similar and the standard is similar, and that standard is high. It's a tough job. It's a sober calling. Now, interestingly, when it comes to the role of elder or pastor or overseer, any of these different things, the Bible talks a little bit about the role and a lot about the person. And so let's look at the role for a second, and then we're going to get to the person and what the Bible says about that. So go back to verse 2 and 3, and Peter describes the role of the elder a little bit. He says to them, "'Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care.'" Watch over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Don't pursue dishonest gain, but be eager to serve. Don't lord it over those who are entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. So there's a couple key phrases I want to key on there. The first one is this. He says to be a shepherd. Now, in their culture, being a shepherd, that would imply care. That would imply feeding. That would imply guarding and protecting against outside attacks. That would mean protecting sheep from biting and stepping on each other. That would imply guiding towards healthy directions and away 
from unhealthy directions. That implies pushing where there's a need to be pushed. That's helping settle into some rest where rest is needed. And as you read through the New Testament, especially Paul's letters, it starts to describe things very specifically like praying for the sick, settling disputes, helping clear up confusion when it comes to doctrinal things or how we should be uh, responding to things as a church. But basically the theme is, for, for elders, it's not about you, it's about the whole. It's not about status, it's about sacrifice. It's not about personal gain. It's about whatever is necessary for the health of the body. And so for an elder, in contrast to the apostles who could say, we were there and this is what Jesus said, for an elder it's saying, based on what I see in Scripture, this is what Jesus said. Based on what I see in Scripture, this is what he commands us and what he commands you. Based on what I see in Scripture, this is what the church is to be and to do and to look like and to prioritize and to teach. They're to be a shepherd. Second phrase that comes in those couple verses is to be an example to the flock. So not just leading and guiding as a shepherd would, but being an example to the flock that's in their care. And, and uh, I love the, the phrase that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. So now an elder isn't just saying, based on what I see in Scripture, here's what you are to do and what we are to be. Now an elder is saying, based on what I see in Scripture, this is how I'm going to live. And it's going to be as closely to the example of Christ as I can. And so if you're unsure, follow me as I follow Christ. Again, a high calling, a sober calling. And so beyond the role, what type of person is asked to step into this type of a position. Well, the person is described in a few spots in Scripture, and it basically describes what's it look like to follow Christ? What does a person or a leader worth following look like? And we're going to hit on this a little bit more in a couple weeks as we talk about false teachers in 2 Peter. Um, but I want to read kind of a, a compilation of the descriptions that the Bible gives for those who would be called to step into a position of influence within a local body and a church. And it comes from 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. It comes from Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And then it's here in 1 Peter 5 where we've read. Here's, here's a list of what God is looking for out of those who would step into place and lead his church. Those verses describe someone who is blameless. There's nothing we can currently accuse them of. We're going to come back to blameless in a second. That's a big one. It describes a person with a long track record of walking with Jesus and pursuing Jesus obediently. It's a person who holds firmly to good doctrine. They hold to the gospel as it was given to us by Jesus and his people, Peter and Paul and others who wrote the New Testament, and then protect the core doctrines of Scripture. It's a person whose family is healthy and is a top priority. So they're faithful to their spouse. Their kids respect them and others respect the way that their family is led. Their kids are solid, disciplined, controllable. And we're talking about a family culture, right? We're not talking about perfection. Um, my dad was a pastor all growing up and he did a great job of making sure we didn't feel like we had to be extra good because we're the pastor's kids, right? It's, a, it's an unfair way to put on the kids of a pastor. We've tried to do the same with our kids. Um, they're pretty much perfect but yet they have, they have minor flaws uh, that we let go from time to time. But family is the priority. Their family culture is healthy. These verses describe someone who is self-controlled and gentle. It means they're not violent or easily angered. They're not controlled by wide-ranging emotions that are changing and circumstances around them. They're not controlled by addictions. They're not quarrelsome. They're not argumentative. It's someone who's self-controlled 
and gentle. Describe someone who is respectable and disciplined. Describe someone who is hospitable. In a, we did a podcast this past week. We didn't want to push the calendar back from the week that I missed. So if you want to check that out, we talked about biblical hospitality. Uh, someone who's not arrogant. Someone who's humble. Someone who's teachable and able to teach. It describes someone who's not greedy or obsessed with money or obsessed with obtaining newer and bigger and better things, all the new toys. It describes someone who is righteous, someone who loves what is good and gravitates towards the things of God. These verses describe someone who will support and affirm and defend the teaching of the church, someone who would willingly and joyfully care for the church, someone who's not selfish but eager to serve a true servant leader. And as you compile this list, basically it's someone who looks like Jesus. It's that simple, right? It's a person who does their best to model that description for others. I mentioned blameless, right? An important note. And here's what you got to understand. It's, it's obviously not about perfection. That's never going to be attained. What we're talking about in a leader like this is someone who is able to, to provide a long-term, consistent, reliable pursuit of Jesus. And if they do get on track, it, it, it's not devastatingly so, and it's quickly followed by a broken heart and a heart of repentance and quickly getting back on track. And this is where it gets a little bit difficult because what then among church leadership, what, how do you decide what's a disqualifying sin? What's, what's big enough? What's bad enough? And, and it's, always, it's going to be affected by people's experiences and, and their subjective ideas of what's big and what's not big. And so what are those sins? What's the degree of those sins that's okay or not okay? Uh, what are the bad ones and the not so bad ones? We talked about respectable sins a couple, couple months ago and how that plays in the things that we usually let go uh, amongst Christians. And so to answer that, it's, it's, and this gets into, this is me talking. No, this is kind of how I view it and how I uh, process different situations that, that I see and come across. Um, for me, it's about the example that the person can provide to the body. Can they still say, follow me because I'm following Christ? I would say that in a situation where their imperfection is revealed, you need to be able to look at that pastor, look at that elder, look at that leader, and ask the question, hey, can a reasonable person approach the situation? Can they approach that leader and that issue and not be thinking to themselves, how could you possibly follow that person? Look at the hypocrisy. If that's what they're into, if that's what Jesus is about, I'm out. An elder, an overseer, a pastor, a person in a position of authority and leadership within the church in their own walk cannot become a stumbling block to others because they've been called to be the exact opposite. Their walk, their faith, their pursuit of Jesus, their life, their family should be something others look at and go, I want that. I'll have what they're having. And it's not about a legalistic list, although the list matters, right? It gives us a guideline of what we're looking for. It's about the walking testimony of those with influence. It's a high calling. It's a high standard. That's why in 1 Timothy 3, uh, he describes it as a noble office. In James 3, James says, not many of you should uh, ascribe to be teachers, right? Because there's going to be a different conversation with Jesus at the end of all this for those who have stood on a platform, held up scriptures, said this is what Jesus says, and this is what we're to do, and this is how we're to live. Follow me. It's a different conversation than those who don't end up in that type of a position. And so um, the Bible talks very soberly about those who would step into leadership within a church. 
Um, I thought about taking some time at this point to just kind of walk you through our leadership structure. Um, I'm going to do it very briefly, but I'm going to point you to a different talk where you can get those details because there's something else I want to do at the end here. So here at Fieldstone, what's what's our leadership structure? We have pastors. That's uh, currently Joe and I. Um, And then we have uh, staff ministry directors. Brian and Miriam do that on the worship side. Christy and John Onans do that on the kids' side and others, even in volunteer roles, who help us lead up some of our ministries. Uh, But pastor-led. And then we have deacons. Uh, And deacons are, it's it's a a team of uh, four or five individuals where they provide accountability and direction and insight and wisdom on some of the very practical matters of the church, financial stuff, right? We, We can't spend a certain amount of money without their approval, can't enter into loans or contracts without their approval. They approve salary changes and benefits and things like that. Things that have to do with the building or the property uh, comes down to them. Any major ministry changes and practical things, they speak into that, and so they provide accountability there. We have a team of elders, and those are individuals who have proven to be uh, prayerful people, uh, have shown themselves to have wisdom, to lean on God for that wisdom, Uh, strong families. They've led their families. Well, they're not perfect families. They're not perfect people, but they have a long track record of walking with Jesus and and providing, they provide great insight and accountability on the spiritual side of the church. And so, for example, um, if there's, if we're helping walk a family through something and it's heavy and difficult and and it's hard to figure out the practical side, I'll I'll throw that at our team of elders and say, hey, what what do you guys think? Is this What direction we go? Are you okay with the way we've handled this? We keep them up to date on things that Joe might be dealing with with students and and things like that, just so they're aware and can and can speak into some of those spiritual struggles. Um, There are are times where I say, "Hey, what 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 does our church need to hear? What do we need to teach on?" Um, There have been uh, at least one time where I pulled them aside and did a practice of a of a talk, just so they could hear it, just because it was going to be a heavier one, it was going to be a tougher one, and and they're like, "Ah, you shouldn't say it like this. Use this word instead." And I can say, hey, have I handled this passage correctly? Have I handled these verses correctly? Are you good? And some of that's for accountability, and some of that's just for support and confidence to know that it's not just one guy standing up here saying things. There's, there's support and encouragement and, and other voices speaking into the spiritual side of this church um, from the elder team. And then we've got overseers. And this is something that was recommended to us when we were planting Fieldstone. Um, and so we have three pastors or pastors slash former pastors from outside Fieldstone, um, and they provide an extra layer of protection and accountability for me and for the church. Um, And so uh, if something were to ever happen with me, those are the individuals that can come in and get me out of here, Um, fire me, discipline me, whatever that would need to look like. Um, And there's protection on both sides. So on my side of things, um, some of you have lived this, right? You've seen this play out. Um, no one from within this church can start a faction and grow support and build and start saying things and doing things and raise up enough support to remove the pastor and take over. That, that legally cannot happen at Fieldstone. The overseers have to be a part of it. So that protects me. But that's also protection for the church from uh, politics and influence where, uh, you know, if something were going on with me and I was not responding correctly, what do you do? You call out your own pastor? I mean, you call out the founder of the church, that can be a difficult thing, and it has proven difficult at churches around the country. And so our leadership here can leapfrog me to our overseers. The reverse of that is true, um, and they can make sure things happen. And then instead of trying to fire your friend or fire your pastor, there's 
three individuals who are not a part of the politics, who, are not a, who care more about the body of Christ than me as an individual um, who can step in. So it's, it's kind of a lot of give and take and a lot of play between all the groups, uh, but that's our structure. But if you want more information on that, um, of course, always willing to talk about it, but on uh, March 27 of last year, March 27 of 2022, uh, we threw out some vision things, talked about a counseling center, talked about planting a church, um, but the last 15 minutes of that talk, we talked about our leadership structure, and we introduced those who are currently in those positions of leadership here at Fieldstone. Threw some pictures up, so you can hear the audio on the website or on Apple Podcasts, but if you go to the YouTube uh, clip uh, from March 27 of 2022, those last 15 minutes, you can even see pictures of our elders and our deacons and, and kind of hear more of how that structure plays out. So definitely check that out if you're curious about that. But um, I, I, I breezed through that. I don't know if you felt like that was breezing through it, but I feel like I breezed through that uh, because I want to do something a little bit different um, when it comes to kind of a, a practical challenge today. Um, partly because as I think about church leadership and, and pastors in particular, I've come across some um, pretty tough statistics over the last few weeks. And we heard a little bit about it at a conference we were at a few weeks ago. And then I found an article and some research that, that supports what they were saying. Um, and it messed with me a little bit. And so I want to I throw it at you and, and throw out a, a few challenges associated with it. So th this research comes from a, a Barna uh, research from 2017. If you're not familiar with Barna, um, it's like the Christian version of, like, version of Gallup. They, they do uh, research and polls and statistics and things. Very reliable group. So this is from 2017. I got to tell you, I think that the numbers are more, are more, uh, uh, um, more dire than they were back in 2017. So as you hear these numbers, they, they're probably worse. So in 1992, 76% of pastors were under the age of 55. In 2017, that was down to 50%. 50% of pastors under the age of 55. In 1992, 33%, a third of pastors were under the age of 40. By 2017, that was down to 15%. 15% of pastors under the age of 40. And like I said, I think it's less than that now. Go back even further. In 1968, 55% of pastors were under the age of 45. In 2017, that was, that was only 22% under the age of 45. And you throw in some of the other statistics they had. There are currently more pastors over the age of 65 than pastors under the age of 45. Now, there's nothing wrong with older pastors. There's wisdom and experience that comes with that. There's insight that just can't be gained uh, aside from just years of being through the spiritual battles with people and being in the local church. But when there's more over 65 than under 45, we have a long-term problem that we're facing. Now, there's reasons, right? There's generation sizes. Um, there's more people staying healthy to older ages. There's not that need to jump out of a career or ministry. The 08 recession was huge in that. I think a lot of older pastors have had to stick around a little bit longer to make up uh, for some of the loss in the market at that point, make sure they can retire safely. I think college cost comes into play. Don't get me started on the cost of Christian education at the higher levels Come out with $150,000 of debt so you can make thirty-five dollars at your first youth pastor job. The numbers don't add up, I'm telling you right now. I got some thoughts on that. But save that for when I'm not on the stage. Um, 
But whatever the reasons, the number of people who are saying, I'm willing to pursue something more, the number of people who are saying, I'll carry the burden of letting others follow me as I follow Christ, the number of people saying that is shrinking at an alarming rate. Right now, maybe we're fine. But five years from now, ten years from now, I think it's going to get interesting. There's already churches who are struggling to find youth pastors, senior pastors. Um, it's a difficult process right now. So here's what I want to do. Um, and as I, as I say this, it, it, if you're not physically able to, to do what I'm asking you to do, please remain seated. But I want to I do something different today. I wonder if you're over the age of 45, I'm going to ask you to self-identify. If you're over the age of 45, if you're able, would you please stand? <laughs> That's a lot of groaning happening as I... As you <laughs> I'm sorry, it was too easy, too easy. So we're talking pretty much to Gen Xers and Boomers. I'm going to ask you for two things. I want you to look in, and I want you to look back. I want you to look in. What are you telling the next generation? What are you showing the next generation about what it means to follow Jesus? Look in. Are you living a life worth following? If they followed your example, would they end up closer to the example of Christ? If you don't like your answer, it's time to be sober. It's time to be alert. I want you to look in and I want you to look back. Who are you praying for? Who are you encouraging? Who needs to hear from you? Who needs to see you? Whose name do you need to add to your prayer list? I need you to look back. There's people coming after you. They need your example. They need your prayer. They need your encouragement. You guys can have a seat. If you're between 25 and 45, would you please stand? And if you're right on the edge, I'll let you decide which way you want to go with it. <laughs> 25 to 45, we're talking to millennials now. I'm one of you, okay? So show me some grace. Millennials, there's more in you. We need more depth in you. We need more depth from you. We need you to sober up. We need you to be alert. We need your Bible to be a study Bible. Right? They're more expensive. Come find me. I'll buy it for you if you need to. Or, or at least we need you to be reading the Bible with some supplement materials that are challenging you and saying, oh, I got to go back to read this chapter in Isaiah and cross-reference and see what's this actually talking about. Oh, that changes how I view this. That's a big deal. Oh, this is what that's saying. That's crazy. I, I need to sober up about this. I need to read this a little bit differently. We need more depth out of your study. Millennials, we need you to cut 30 minutes out of your screen time and replace it with time in the Word and time crying out to God. Millennials, when you see the brokenness and confusion around you, we need you to be a light of truth and stability instead of folding at the first sign of pressure. It's more in you. We need more from you. You guys need to know that the boomers and the Gen Xers, for all their faults, they have some. <laughs> they have been pillars of service and generosity and labor for the church for decades. They've been missionaries and they've been church planters. They've killed it in their careers and in the stock market. It was a little easier for them, right? But 
they've turned around and they've used their success to support the Great Commission for decades. It's on you now. You are not the kids anymore. You are mom and dad. You are aunt and uncle. You have the biggest and most regular impact on the kids that are coming behind you. And your refusal to grow or heal or forgive or learn or protect or guide is shaping how the next generation is viewing faith. I need more. You guys can have a seat. Well, unless you haven't been paying attention, kids, you know what is coming next. <laughs> if you're under 25, would you please stand? By the way, what a celebration. We've got all kinds of generations floating around this church, right? And there's another one on the other side of those walls. Gen Z, we need you. Yeah, the letters just keep stacking up, don't they? You live to see Z. You made it. We need you. First Peter 5, 5, and 6, in the same way, which means everything that he just said to the elders, he's saying to you too. But in addition to that, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves then under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Gen Z, we need you to be humble. We need you to get in the word and read it like God might actually be smarter than you. You have great ideas, but you do not have all the answers. I want you to know that your time is coming, but you can have influence right now. I already told you, I remember that I can see the faces of those three sixth graders who came and helped us figure out middle school, right? You can, you can have influence right now, and yet your time is coming. But for right now, honor the wisdom of those who have come before you. Find someone who's following Jesus and follow them. We need you to be humble. We also need you to be courageous. There's a lion prowling around trying to devour you and your friends. You've seen it. We need you to be like David in 1 Samuel 17, who when he was on the battle lines, he was going to visit his brothers, just bringing some supplies and refreshments, and he ended up in this situation. He volunteered, I'll go fight this giant, right? He said, I was called to be a shepherd. I fought the lion who tried to steal my sheep, and I killed the lion who took my sheep. And in the name of the living God, I'll stand up to this Philistine who's mocking my people and my faith. We need you to be courageous. And we need you to say yes. We need you to hear God's voice like the little boy Samuel did. We need you to be in a spot where when God gives you the talent and the personality and the intelligence that you could use to get rich and you could use to get a bigger house and you could use to go on better vacations and get a sweet car and build yourself some influence and power in this world. And then when that God who gave you those gifts turns around and asks you to use those gifts and that talent and that personality and that intelligence to be a deacon or an elder or to love on some children or to invest in some teenagers or he asks you to take those gifts and use them on the mission field or to turn around and become a pastor and make a fraction of what your earning potential is, we need you to say yes. I'm on the older end of the millennial generation. We have failed. Okay? The boomers and the gaps and the, and, and the things that they left behind, my generation has not said yes enough to fill those gaps. Gen Z, we need you guys to say yes. We need you to be humble. We need you to be courageous. 
I need you to say yes. Could all of you please stand to join them? I hope, I hope that you're not hearing guilt, right? I don't want you to walk out feeling like there's, this is a guilt trip that, oh, I guess I got to be a pastor now, you know? Like, <laughs> it's not, that's not what we're looking for. By the way, the provision that comes along with saying yes, you can't match it. You can't match it. I hope you hear a challenge. I hope you hear an encouragement. I hope you hear a very important reminder of what's at stake. Love the way Peter closes this out. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, who is very real, by the way, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. You know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're all in the same boat. And in the midst of all this, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, he will himself restore you and make you strong and make you firm and make you steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we pray that that would all play out in our lives in each generation represented here at this church in our young ones on the other side of the wall. God, that you would that you would give us the honor of this calling. God, thank you for the leaders that we have, the ones that you've blessed us with, with, with life experience and wisdom and who have been faithfully following you and pursuing you, those who have forgiven and apologized when necessary, who have spoken truth when necessary and expressed grace when necessary. God, thank you for their example. And for those who come behind, may we follow that and then leave a light behind us for others to follow. God, give us courage. Give us humility. Help us to say yes. Do your work, and we'd be honored to help. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon.